that contradicts their belief. They have this like weird churning inside themselves. They have this like strange uh, reaction. And so if you're confronted with truth that you didn't know, um, that, that, that kind of takes away what you uh, have thought previously, you, you, he called it cognitive dissonance. And you turn something out. So if you grew up thinking that the only way for somebody to actually be healed is for them to see a medical doctor, well then when you see somebody like, you know, the people we've had in our church recently that all of a sudden they get healed, you, you know, my brain has to reformat for a second. And there's some stress to that. And there's, some, there's good cognitive dissonance and there's bad cognitive dissonance. We're talking about peace this week. And, you know, the, the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. And those are all things that God is, that he pours into human beings. And through his Spirit, he's transforming people into this amazing list of things that he already is, that God is working on, right? So God is love. Tim said that a few minutes ago. God is just filled with joy. No matter what happens on our planet, he is filled with joy. And he pours joy into people. And he is peaceful. That's not generally what we think about God, right? You can turn across the pages of Scripture and you can look at these, these, these different you know, books and you'll see a God who's angry, a God who's sad, a God who reacts this way, that way, a God who teaches us how to walk according to his ways and sometimes is corrective in his, in his teaching and his understanding. And as we walk through that whole thing, sometimes the Scriptures are filled with just this hurtful, painful kind of bunch of stuff. I was thinking maybe that's because, like Leon thought of, Festinger, a psychologist from New York City, that maybe God runs into planet Earth and his peace runs into our unpeace. And he's always dealing with a sort of cognitive dissonance. I wonder if every time God looks inside my heart, he just kind of sees this stuff that's not so peaceful, right? My heart, easily not peaceful. When I drive, I am not peaceful. I love to drive in cities, I don't know if you know this about me. I don't think it's very fun to drive in Montgomery County, but Delaware County, oh, absolutely. I love it. It's just a a myriad of unpeace. You can cut people off and everybody else is doing it. It's fun. God looks inside that heart and he says, that is not a heart like mine, right? Love, joy, peace. God has cognitive dissonance. God loves us. God loves our cities. God loves our people. God loves Pottstown. You know, Sunday night, a week ago, a uh, guy got busted behind ice, the ice house there on Manitani and King, 273 bags of heroin in the back of his SUV. And they went on a crime spree. He and some others, not sure how it all worked out. The, the reports are back in. There's still some people that need, that need the police to find them. And, uh, you know, there's three shootings, separate shootings that night, just in Potsdam. And they think they're all kind of connected. Two people got shot and medevaced to Lehigh Valley because of that. And I think, you know, God's looking at it and he loves these people. And what does he feel, you know? What's, what's the tension like? The real world of our world mixing with a peaceful God who wants to bless us with peace. Another lady down the street on King Street, 500 block, got shot that evening. Sometime around that time, we're not sure what day it was, there's a guy in Stowe who got pulled over. He's on a morning jog, 5.30 in the morning. He's just, he and his iPhone and music, you know, just jogging along and he all of a sudden looks at the... Wrong end of a Mossberg 512-gauge rifle or a shotgun. And he has to give the guy his iPhone, and they find that a couple days later. That's just in the last week in our city, and yet God loves all these people, and God is filled with peace, and God is joyful, and God is patient, and he's kind, and we're not, right? And he loves those people who are not so peaceful and kind, and he loves 
me and my impatience and my lack of joy and my lack of these things. And the, the distance between those two things is start, we start to conquer that by being confessional. We start by telling the truth about us, right? And we say, God, please heal us. God, please fix us. God, please repair what's wrong with me. God, take this stuff that you are and put it back in me because I have become kind of a broken person. I think God deals with cognitive dissonance. God deals with the same thing we do. He has this emotional tension in his soul when he looks at his creation and he's hoping for better. You know, the Bible, from start to finish, it just kind of has these people, and occupationally, for whatever reason, they're all shepherds. You know, Abraham is a shepherd, Moses a shepherd, David a shepherd. And when Jesus comes there, these, these, these shepherds that kind of line up next to the manger in that first night, they're the first audience. They see these angels in heaven, these shepherds are, they, they, you know, they're kind of connected to the whole story. And then the Bible transfers that into these interesting ways and it tells, them, it tells us that Jesus is the good shepherd, right? And each one of those kind of shepherding pictures provides a peace-filled leader who can bless other people with peace if those people are willing to listen and follow. Whether it's Abraham, Moses, or David, or more importantly, Jesus, there are these good shepherds that are leading people. At the end of the New Testament, 1 Peter 5 talks about the leadership in the church and says, shepherd shepherd the flock like Jesus. You're like many shepherds, and you're supposed to be like one great, gigantic chief shepherd who leads his people in peace. Shepherds just always have to do that. I was thinking this week that if I was looking for a scripture that would kind of remind us again of who God is in the Advent season, and I really want to know that. I mean, you know, this is the season when we get reconnected with who God is. We stop looking at ourselves. We don't just ask, what do I need to change about me? But we actually need to look at that little baby in a manger and say, you know what? There's things about this being, this God, that I am not. And I need to come into contact with that again. I think that maybe we've kind of forgotten that God is a God primarily of peace. But he just sits there filled with it. And we have such a conflicted world and we're so kind of dissonant from God and we have so much difficulty with God, even in our own beings, even in our personal lives, that, that we don't actually easily, you know, kind of mix the real world with a peaceful God. I want to spend a few minutes this morning just kind of as we end the sermon looking at, or at the service looking at, looking at Psalm 23. You know Psalm 23, right? Everybody knows Psalm 23. We read it yesterday at the funeral. We read it at bedsides and all sorts of places because Psalm 23 mixes real-life situations where people are in real pain and difficulty, where they're really facing tension and addiction and problems and all of these sorts of things with a God who shows up and says, let me shepherd you, please. Let me just be peace-filled. Jesus is the good shepherd. This little baby born in a manger a thousand years earlier, this, this great, 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 great grandfather wrote about him before he was even born. So there's going to be a good shepherd someday. Let me tell you about how I feel about him today a thousand years previous. And it starts those words, the, the whole thing with, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Well, read it with me. I'll just flip across to the, the screen and you can look up here and see it with me. It, hopefully. You've got to turn this thing on. It's important. All right, there it is. Read it with me. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 23 lives between the greatness and the peacefulness of our God and the real life that we're all in the middle of, right? Just for a second, think about the words, he restores my soul. What does that even mean? You know, our lives are so busy and so filled with stress and it gives pictures of these green pastures and still waters that you can drink from, this, this kind of pr- provision that God wants to just pour into our lives. And it says he can constantly restore a soul. The word for soul in the Old Testament actually is the word for life. It literally, it doesn't mean your spirit, the deepest part of you. It actually just means everything about you. It means your physical self. It means your mental self. It means your emotional self. All of those things are combined. And it says, that stuff needs restoring in your life. You get tired. You get broken. You get sick. You get financially down. You get hurt. You get, there's all sorts of things. And, and this says God's interested in that, right? The peace-filled God looks at us and says, I'm not apart from this situation. I'm very much interested in our humanity. I'm actually concerned about the physical problem. Sometimes it's so easy for Christians to just think, well, it's only about a spiritual walk. You know, when we were here on Easter this past year and we prayed for Bob Latcher, I have a confession, and I I think I led that prayer time. Did I lead that prayer time? I did. And I I didn't believe God was going to heal Bob. Just honestly, I had no idea. I wish I could have told you that in my heart, God just said, yes, this is right. I thought, no, he's 85, headed towards 86. I, I told you how old Bob Latch was. Don't anybody tell him I said that. But, you know, I, I was like, I, maybe this is it. And yet God's graciousness pours out of that. That's not anybody praying something special. That's just God moving, right? And he decided that Bob's physical life was worth something for this world right now. And his timing wanted to make that perfect in this way. Who, who, who saw that coming? Not me. Not me. And if somebody else was there and saw it, I, I, heard, I saw Jamie on Facebook. She's already left. But she actually put on Facebook, I, I believed. I believed. And John told me that. I said, I didn't. I didn't. But I do believe in a God who, in, who is interested and continues to do amazing things. And every now and then we pray and nothing happens. And other, every time. God just moves and says, yes, I care about grass and I care about water and you need those things. I care about Saturdays off and I care about places where you go to restore your soul and I can meet with you. I want to connect with you and I want your life to work. I want to provide. We have this dissonance though where we we kind of move away from God and we don't quite trust and believe in this sort of thing and we say, maybe that's not all there is. What's more is he goes on and he says, he says this other line, He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Every now and then we talk about breath prayers. This is one of mine. I pray this just all throughout a day. The breath prayer is something you just kind of whisper out there. He lead me, God, in paths of righteousness. My mind does not go in paths of righteousness. I don't know if you know that. I catch myself. If you just track your thoughts, just someday listen to yourself think. Decide to kind of ponder, what do I think about? Why does that guy wear those jeans? Goodness gracious, that's what I think. Why, why, why did he turn that corner, go around the corner like that? And then there are darker thoughts for me. I have a high school basketball coach who I just, he truly hated me. One of the very few people in my life who hated me. And I can hear him in my head. And sometimes at night when I wake up in the middle of the night, I hear what he said about me because he never said anything good. 
And I wonder, maybe I'm not a very decent human being, just like that guy said 20 years ago. That's not a path of righteousness. Our minds go down paths of righteousness or unrighteousness, things that are broken. And this one says, God wants to lead us down these paths that are cognitively whole, cerebrally healthy, peace-filled, gentle. Places where he says, this is what I created you for. I was listening to Tim during the spiritual gifts class today, and he was talking about these things. I thought, you know, some of the things that God needs to tell us is it's okay you're weird, you know? That God actually makes people strange. They're very unique. They're very individual, and they're not all the same. And that's okay. And those people who are weird, you know what they're thinking? You know, you know you're one of those people, right? You are. And you wonder, am I weird? You are. It's true. You're just covering it up pretty well. But one of the righteous things that God wants to say is, you are weird, and I actually like that. And once you agree with God about what he thinks of you, it becomes something very different than when you just say, maybe, why, why am I like this? Sometimes it takes people years to realize they're not supposed to be the people that their parents or some coach in high school told them that they were supposed to be. And God actually had a different and better plan for their life, and yet they're living within the shadow of what had gone before. And God wants to lead us in paths of righteousness, cerebral paths that take away the dissonance and take away his dissonance and help us to agree with him. And we just have this blessed reality when that happens goes one step further and it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the translators for the, the Bible don't know what to do with that Hebrew word for what it's worth. It actually means valley, and it, then it just says dark, dark, dark darkness. You can just picture that. In southern Israel, there are these ravines where water gets flowing and it flows for years and then hundreds of years and eventually thousands of years. And Joseph actually ended up in one of those ravines in the, in the story of Genesis, Joseph. You know, he was kind of sold into slavery by his brothers, and he was put in a cistern. That's one of these ravines. And in those ravines, they dig so far down in the earth that you can actually get down in one of those. You can't climb back out. They can get 15, 20 feet deep. What's more is they can kind of curve to the left or the right. That means you can actually be in one of these and be out of sight completely of the light. It's thought that that's what this psalm is referring to. You get in one of those ravines and you get in one end and you, you fall down. You've got to walk a long way until you come out the other end and maybe there's a place for you to climb out. Maybe not. And as you're walking, you don't have any idea because you can't even see the sunlight because the light is gone. Everybody's life has moments like that, right? Where the light just kind of goes missing. You look around and you don't know whether to turn to the left or to the right. And it says, even when you are in one of those dark, dark, dark places in your life and you can't see the end of the tunnel because it's going to curve a bunch of different times before you get there, even as you're walking down that curving path and you wonder, will there be a light? Will there ever be a moment when I come out on the other end? Well, it says, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they're there to protect me. A staff is something a shepherd just kind of uses to kind of push a sheep to the left or the right. I don't like God pushing me to the left or the right. I don't know about you. I have to work really hard at confession because not not just confession of sin, but just confession like, okay, God, today I need you. Guide me. Guide me into paths of righteousness mentally. Guide me to a place that restores my soul. Guide me to a place where this I can connect with you. Guide me, please. And if I don't pray that, I don't want it. Honestly, I know where I want to go today. I got a plan. I got a to-do list. Let's get it done. It's not enough. That staff needs to be there. And then it says there's a rod, and that rod, the rod's a whole different thing. That's one of those sticks you beat stuff with, but it's not for the sheep. It's for the other stuff down those tunnels. 
There's, there's these people that are going to hurt you. There's these words that are going to come against you. And what this, what this scripture says is God is walking with you wherever you go. He's walking with you, and he's trying to get stuff out of the way that's going to break your life and damage you. That's a peaceful God, right? He's trying. He's trying. Well, that's the shepherd God. It actually goes on to one other little metaphor, another picture of God. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. What's that a picture of? Dinner. It's just dinner. You are running and running and running, and you're running from words in your life, and you're running from people who accuse you of things, and you're running from disaster that you know is coming closer and closer, and you run into the house of God. And it says he just wants to lay a table out there. He wants to put oil out there. That's, that's what people in the ancient world used to comb their hair. That's what it's really about. It's talking about combing your hair. Just picture yourself going in God's bathroom and getting yourself cleaned up. That's true. I know the Psalms, you're laughing, but the Bible is filled with these things and nobody wants to talk about it. And then it says the cup overflows. God's just sitting there pouring another glass of water for you. You need another glass. You need another one, no problem. It just keeps going, right? We've been running and we've been running and we run into the house of God. You know, my family makes fun of me. I have this place in my living room. Every morning I try to get up before everybody else. It doesn't always happen. But I have a table and I can lay my iPad with um, my Bible stuff my software stuff that helps me study the Bible. And I got my computer, and I got my Bible, and I got my journal, and I've got my, um, my music stuff, the, the, my iPod, so I can listen to worship music. And then I've got my coffee, and it sits right out like this. Shelby's shaking her head. You can see her. It just sits there, you know? And I, I, I sit down, and it's like, it's like a table put in front of me. It's a place for prayer. It's a place for study. You can learn there. It's great. It's wonderful. If I don't get that place, let me tell you, the enemies get a lot closer. That table, literally in my living room, actually acts as a place where God and I meet. And I pray through our, the list of people in our church, and I pray for my family, and I have a journal, I write all those things down. But that's actually the place where I need to set aside, where I actually have to connect with God, or else his, his peacefulness, the, peace, the peacefulness of Jesus born in a manger, just somehow gets missed in my life. And I go into my day without the peacefulness of this God. And then... Everybody needs to look out. You should probably just ask me before you see me on a given Tuesday, hey, did you have that moment this morning? Because otherwise, I don't want to talk to you. Everybody needs one of these. Otherwise, these enemies get in your head. And you might not give in to what they say, but you might be reacting. So my high school basketball coach said I wasn't a great guy. Well, I am a great guy. I'll tell everybody I'm a great guy, but I'm not nearly as great as... I want to think I am, and I'm reacting to that guy, and what Jesus actually thinks I am, and what he wants to define me as, I'm not actually listening to. Because I'm too busy reacting to that guy and doing what I think about myself now. And we can psychoanalyze ourselves and listen to counselors and go through all this different stuff, but what we really need is to sit before God and have him pour into our souls what he thinks of us and what we need, more importantly, to think about him. Right? And he sets a table before us and says, you're going to show up or you're just going to run all day from enemies because your, your mind and your heart, your life is filled with enemies. And some of those enemies are things you love and people you love, but they can whisper words in your heart that will break you. It ends with this little line, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Who writes that? That's so much confidence. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me till I get that bill from 
Pottstown Hospital where they just they don't send it to my insurance company. I don't know why they won't do that. And we've been going back and forth for three months. That's not mercy or goodness. It's just it's a pain in the tail. That's our real life. And yet he says, listen, when I'm looking at God, goodness and mercy is who this God is. He is peace-filled. He is absolutely amazing. And he wants to pour this stuff into my life. Last little line. And then I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's not a statement of, uh, I just will do this naturally. It's a statement of, I absolutely am determining that I will walk with God daily. That I'm actually going to live inside of this place where God speaks to me instead of all of these other voices. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave the dissonance behind and I'm going to decide that the anxieties and the stresses, I've got to get apart from that and I'm going to give God that space in my life where I can actually walk this way. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Whenever I talk to somebody who has had some moment with Jesus, they tell me, I just want to stay there forever. Anybody who's ever had that moment, maybe there are tears falling down your face. Maybe you just sat there quietly before the Lord. Maybe he restored you and you felt some things that were really good about yourself that you didn't know were there. Whatever it is, God told you the truth about you and you got right with him and there was this peace and there was this understanding and you want to live there, but you don't and I don't. It's so hard to stay in that little place where God is preparing a table before us in the presence of enemies or where he's walking us along a a pleasant bit of water or grassy valley. You know, that stuff is, we, we give that up. We go shopping or something. We move on to actual jobs in real life and we have to drive on 422. All of those things take away the goodness and the mercy and at the end, we're not dwelling in the house of the Lord. We're dwelling in our own heads again and we lose sight of all that God wants to do and, and, and we have to restart the process. God did, never intended that. Greatest picture of God walking with people happened right off the bat. Cool of the evening, in the Garden of Eden, Adam, Eve, God, walking. When Shelby and I grow apart, we walk. We just get together, we walk someplace. Maybe it's a mile, maybe it's two miles. But you know, you can do a lot of talking, a lot of conversating, a lot of just blessing of each other if you just walk. And God wanted to walk with us. That's what he always wanted. It's what he's always offered, what he's so wanted to give us. And he says, listen, when we walk, I can shepherd you, I can show you you, I can lead you, I can guide you, I can prepare for you, I can provide for you, I can protect you, I can do all these things. But when we're not walking together, when you're just out there saying, look, God, you you be up there and bless me and and kind of shoot your blessings from afar, it it doesn't work anymore. We have a peace-filled God and we don't know it. Isn't that a tragedy? that God is this peace-filled, and so often we don't know it. This Advent season, spend some time, and I'd encourage you to spend time like this every day. It's not enough to just read the word or just sing a song. I mean, we do talk about these disciplines. Those are space holders, but you've got to spend time with God where your heart is attached, where he has a table where he's just going to put stuff out in front of you and bless the daylights out of you. God wants to do that. I love Advent because we've got all these candles and lights and it's just pretty. You know what I'm saying? Shelby calls me Scrooge because I don't actually really love Christmas. But it, you know, it, it really does. I mean, this is, this, is, this is a nice time of year. And you know, all of this external stuff, what it's trying to do, at least in our church, is trying to get our internal stuff to actually look like this and give God space so it can move inside of who we are. God wants to meet you. He wants to meet you. Will you let him?
Join me in prayer. God, you are peace-filled. And we don't have any metric, any measurement, any understanding of how much you would pour peace into this world that is so broken that people damage each other absolutely intentionally. There are moments when, if we're honest, we wake up in the morning and we just want to hurt something. Our natural, normal way. Maybe we don't don't want to rob a bank or do anything really criminal necessarily, but when it comes down to it, we snipe words at each other. We have an unpeace to us that is just characteristic. And the goodness and mercy that will follow us all the days of our life, we kind of shoot non-goodness and non-mercy and live within the sight of just what we want to live within the sight of and forget that you're a shepherd and a providing God who wants to meet with us and pour peace into our lives. God, there are people in this room, and I've been one of them, and I might be one tomorrow, who knows, that need that moment, that just need to know that the God of the universe is absolutely full of peace and that he wants the people of this world to walk in peace with him. And that that's not just an eternal walk, it's not a one-time event, it's an everyday opportunity. And we would ask that you would flood our souls and our lives with this thing called peace so that we could emanate it out there, the light of peace for other people who are so hurting in this season especially. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.